This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I'm Paul Gallant on Friday. Friday, got to get down on Friday, June 4th of 2021. The Seattle Mariners are back at 500. Huzzah! And they were able to do it thanks to a pretty gutsy performance by Justice Sheffield. Shook off back-to-back home runs, which of course happened as soon as I turned on the game. I started thinking negatively. Those bad Thursday energies. I started thinking about Chris Flexen's bad inning. And then, man, of course you tune into the Mariners as things hit the you-know-what. But they end up winning. 6-2, they take down the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, which, pause, that annoys me so much. It should annoy you, too. Just go by the Anaheim Angels. No one in Los Angeles cares about you. They only care about the Dodgers. And it's not just that. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Like, you sound so obnoxious and hoity-toity. Very Orange County. Maybe that's what they're going for. I digress. They're able to do it because they made the right choice at the top of the lineup. They moved Jared Kelnick back. We'll talk about him more in just a second. They moved J.P. Crawford to the top of the lineup. Woo! He looked good last night. Another 2-2. Swing and this is pelted deep out to left center field, and it short hops and bounces over the wall for a ground rule double. J.P. Crawford stinging one the opposite way. That drives in a run. It drives in Fraley from third. That was cracked by Crawford. Man, he is squaring it up tonight. It's 5-2 Mariners in the sixth inning. He crushed that. I mean, deep left center field, opposite way. It was a heck of a smash. And he had two doubles last night. Three for five in the leadoff spot. You know, while the Mariners lineup is very far from impressive. First four guys they've got, I like it. I like the look of it right now. Crawford, Hanniger, Seeger, France. Considering all the injuries that you're dealing with right now, I mean, no Kyle Lewis, probably for the rest of the season. I'm just assuming the worst at this point because I'm a bit of a fatalist by nature. But give Scott Service some credit. I mean, they made the right decision with the lineup to move Crawford up. But that brings us to the frustrating thing. Jared Kelnick. Three strikeouts. Again, he's batting 107. I know. I, I'm i a hypocrite. I was so excited to see Jared Kelnick up. I really was so excited to the point where I told myself, I don't care about the results. Let's just see him out there. He has so much confidence. He's going to be able to do whatever he thinks he can. That hasn't been the case in last night. I mean, you just saw him look livid with himself. Totally understandable, right? I know some people are like, oh, the profanity. If you've played a sport and you're playing horribly over a long stretch, you're going to be hard on yourself. Or if you're struggling at work or something like that, you're going to go home, you're going to look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to be like, what the heck's wrong with me? But things have gotten to a point with Kelnick where I think by the end of this road trip, or potentially by the end of this series against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, of California, of the United States, of North America, I think that you probably are going to need to move him down to the minors. And I feel like the longer you wait, 
it's not necessarily going to hurt him in the long term, but I think right now the guy needs a break. And you've given him a couple of games off. I suppose you could just sit him for a couple of games in a row. And I know that it's difficult where the Mariners are at right now because who do you really have as an alternative? You have so many injuries right now. Maybe you have to wait until somebody comes back. But I think I'd be comfortable with the way that Jake Fraley's been hitting with an outfield featuring Jake Fraley, Mitch Hanniger, and Taylor Trammell. So with that in mind, I I think it might be time to send him down. And I don't know how much AAA is going to give him because I really think that the Pacific Coast League is just a league that doesn't help guys out that much. And I just based that off of my time in Houston. But that's something they are really going to have to think about. My question for you today, the Paul Gallant Show question of the day, 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Would it be a failure? to send Jared Kelnick back to the minors at any point the rest of this season. A bunch of people are asking failure for whom. I'm just saying, in totality, would it be a failure? Ryan Roland Smith had an interesting point about this, and he doesn't think it would be the end of the world to send Kelnick down. I, I don't see why there's this big stigma about sending Jared Kelnick down. I, I remember when he first came up, everyone was like, well, they, they wanted to wait till they knew they could bring him up and never option him down. I'm like, well, I'm kind of scratching my head thinking there has been 95% of superstars who come up and then they get optioned back down unless they, make a, unless they have a late start to their career. I mean, he's so young. And, you know, look, it, it, he's struggling. He's and like you said, last night was kind of at that point where all of a sudden he's gripping that bat tight and he's just trying to make it happen. And that you know, four at bats feels like the last chance he ever have, and it's the worst feeling ever. We saw that with Taylor Trammell. I think Ryan's right. And some examples of guys who have come up to the major leagues, highly touted prospects, sent down after not a great stretch. Mike Trout called up in July of 2011, sent down after 14 games for about three weeks. Comes back up, hits a little bit better. A-Rod, age 18, called up for 17 games in 1994 before he was sent down. A texter brought up, Kyle Seeger. It's not the end of the world to send him down. I know it's going to feel like a gut punch. So when you take that gut punch, go to your happy place. And that happy place is somehow, someway, this Mariners team, which is so banged up, is hovering around 500, even though they don't play the most particularly entertaining brand of baseball because they struggle to hit. It's the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm Paul Gallant. You can text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. You can watch it, 710sports.com slash video. You can also listen on your 710 app or on your smart speaker. Brian Schottenheimer was a very convenient scapegoat for the Seattle Seahawks last year. And I get why. The hard reality of last year, you don't want to blame anybody that's a part of this offense. I mean, we're all blaming Russell Wilson to an extent. He could have been better at a lot of things. We're blaming the offensive line to an extent, too. But it really feels like, for the most part, the reason that we think the Seahawks season came to a crashing halt last year was because they totally lost the ability to 
beat defenses that were rather simple. So then you just point at Brian Schottenheimer and say, oh, well, Brian Schottenheimer's never been good. There's been a lot of beating up on him over the course of the offseason. And I get it. Scapegoating Schottenheimer is the only way that you can legitimately convince yourself that this Seahawks team has a better chance of going to a Super Bowl this year than last. You're buying into the idea then, in doing so, that a first-year offensive coordinator named Shane Waldron is going to make that offense take the lead. It's a lot to put on the shoulders of any coach. Whether it's blaming Schottenheimer last year, or it's just expecting things out of Waldron this season. Will Disley was on Jake and Stacy yesterday, and he had some interesting comments that should have you thinking about the past and future offensive coordinator of the Seahawks. Shane's a really smart guy. His offense is really systematic and it has a lot of answers. You know, there's going to be some uniqueness. And the cool part about it is we're going to get some tight ends on the field. You know, I think Gerald and I are going to have great compliment and Colby and whoever else steps up. And we're going to create a lot of problems for defenses around the league. You know, we have a really tough division. And I think Shane's ready. He's come prepared. And Russ is picking it up quick. He's excited. It's just there's a newness. There's a new sense of urgency, new energy. And, and we're all excited to learn. And you know, get on the field and go operate a little bit. So there's high expectations for our offense always, you know, with Russ leading the charge and, um, you know, with the crew that we have, I don't see why we wouldn't be just as dominant as we were last year. You hear what he said at the beginning? This offense with Shane is systematic. We have answers. It's unique. A little bit later, he says urgent. A lot of those words are likely being said because of just optimism for this coming season, but Others are probably because they noticed some differences between Waldron and Schadenheimer from last year. Those differences don't necessarily mean future success, as much as we would like to believe that it does. So I I think we've gotten to a point now where it is easy to blame Brian Schadenheimer, and he totally shared some of the blame for the Seahawks' offensive failures last year. But much like Danny said earlier this morning on Danny and Gallant, check out the podcast, I think it's time that we move all Schottenheimer scapegoating to the side, henceforth. Because if you're really going to blame Schottenheimer for all of the issues last year, expecting a first-time-ever offensive coordinator to make all those changes happen this coming season, man, you, you might be asking for too much. It's 10-10. This is the Paul Gallant Show. This hour is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. Happy Friday. How are you now? Sorry. Don't be sorry. A few greetings there. I wasn't sure where to jump in. Yeah, I didn't know how to stop. (laughs) I appreciate it. Happy Friday. You're excited? I am very excited. I got my my tropical shirt on. This is one of the new ones. I have an addiction. It's a problem. I need to stop. Addiction to tropical shirts. Is Andy Reid your idol? (sighs) Dang, that sounds like an insult. (laughs) He likes those shirts. I know, but I feel like mine are more fashionable than his. <laughs> they are. Thank you. You're but welcome. at this point, I don't know if I believe you, so let's just move on to what's trending. Anyway, <laughs> LeBron and the Lakers were ousted in Game 6 by the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker put up 47 points in the Suns' first playoff win since 2010. And then Damian Lillard and the Blazers are also out in 6 after blowing a 14-point lead to well, Nuggets. Oh, man, that, part, that part's a little bit depressing. But in case you couldn't see me, 710sports.com slash video, I was shaking my fists in celebration excitedly and jubilantly to see the Los Angeles Lakers are done. LeBron James, done. Gotta say, though, 
it's pretty incredible that this is the first time, 36-year-old LeBron, 18th year in the NBA, this is the first time that he has been on a playoff team that lost in the first round. And I mean, remember, he was on a Cavs team that was not good, that got to the finals very early in his career. Very early. And they took down that Detroit Pistons team. The one that was able to take down the Lakers when they had that sort of all-star ensemble, but maybe Kobe and Shaq weren't liking each other too much. This is the first time that he has gone down. I will tip my cap to him. That's impressive. But it's even more impressive that the Lakers are out of the playoffs. Good for Chris Paul. Good for Chris Paul proving that James Harden was just basically a lazy sack and he didn't want to do anything in Houston. I love watching what Paul is able to do. Everywhere he has gone since leaving, we couldn't root for it when it was an OKC. He has done well. And I think James Harden looks like a giant jerk for it. Look at that. Taking shots at my least favorite NBA players. Boom, boom, boom. Stinks about Damian Lillard. I love that you found a way to bring James Harden into a Lakers, Suns, Blazers, Nuggets conversation. Whenever I can, Mora, <laughs> because I'm that petty. All right, Jeff Baker of the Seattle Times joined Wyman and Bob yesterday to discuss the Seattle Kraken coaching search. They're going to hire one by uh, the end of this month. I think they're waiting for Carolina to finish its season because Rod Brendan Moore's there. Brendan Moore has been trying to get contract raises for all of his assistants in uh in Carolina, that's one of the holdups of getting a contract there. The owner's not exactly known for, for paying his supporting cast all that well. It's a new, relatively new owner, and uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. That's an interesting choice. I remember Brindamore basically from playing NHL video games a long time ago. When the Carolina Hurricanes had first started, I thought their uniforms were cool. So I remember playing with them. He is still a part of that organization. It's been 21 years. I mean, that's nuts. I wonder about bringing somebody who's been in the same city for 21 years to be a head coach somewhere else. I would feel like you would get really comfortable in that spot. And all of a sudden, you're going to move? It's going to work out differently? I suppose it's the same ownership. But I wonder about that. Got to give the Hurricanes credit because they're actually making it a series with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm coughing all over the place right now. That is what's trending with Maura Dooley brought to you by King Seating and Air. It's time for you guys to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. These allergies are mean. Just meanie pants. 710sports.com slash video. I'm sure it's not a pretty sight. I have all these concoctions in studio, which I'm supposedly not allowed to have. Whatever. You want me to talk, I need my tissues, cough drops, saltwater gargle. You rebel. Uh, more tissues <laughs> and sanitizer. I think the coughing's gone. Anyway, the question of today's show. 710-710, the Mac and Jack Brewing Company text line, or 206-421-3776. Would it be a failure for the Mariners to send Jared Kelnick back down to the minors? 
Let's go through the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Ball, they have to send him down. He's clearly not ready for MLB pitching. How do you explain the two moments where he has looked like he belongs? That Friday, second game of his career against Cleveland. A couple of weeks ago, two games in a row, looks like he's finally broken that slump. Were those just anomalies? Really feels that way at this point. Someone's been mean and been tweeting pictures of Kelnick's face slowly metamorphosizing into that of Dustin Ackley. His name is at Beastquake on Twitter. You're pure evil, first off, for doing that, for putting that energy on us. I think some of the assumptions of the worst is definitively going to happen have to be relaxed. And I think Kalnick also, speaking of that word, has to be made to relax. Easier said than done. Text in. This is a great point, and we've brought it up before about what you do with Kelnick. Shannon Dreyer said it herself. The biggest difference ever right now between the AAA level and the majors, she ain't kidding. Like, I don't get it. With the Pacific Coast League in particular, it feels like there's an even bigger gap at this point in time. Hurry up and send him to AAA, right? Someone who I think has some actual motivations to want to see him sent down to the minors. I can ride my bike to Cheney Stadium. Come on, man. Don't be selfish. We all want to be able to enjoy Jared Kelnick. Just because you could watch him in person at the AAA level, probably rake, doesn't mean that we see him taken away from us. Come on now. That's not cool. 206-421-3776. Would it be a failure if the Mariners sent down Jared Kelnick at any point the rest of this year, or do you have to stick with it? Let's go to Blaze from the 509. Blaze, what's going on? Blaze. We'll get back to Blaze in a moment. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. When Kyle Lewis was injured early this season, injury wasn't a reason to bring Kelnick back up. Why? With all these current injuries, is it right to keep him up? That question's from Craig. That's a great question. And honestly, I would say, too, if you take a look at the lineup, when he is that big of an anomaly on a team that's struggling to hit, it's hard, I think, to justify to the rest of the team him having that everyday place in the lineup. And I don't think he's a like bad teammate or anything like that, but what you're seeing out of Jake Fraley, I, I think it's, start, it's time to start at the very least considering moving him up in the lineup. Just considering it. He's drawing walks. He hit a home run last night. So, yeah, it's, it's this weird spot that they're in. And I feel like it just might be easier to rip the Band-Aid off sooner rather than later and by the end of this series perhaps send Kelnick down. Let's go back to Blaze in the 509. Blaze, what's going on? Hey, man. Hey, I was pushing pretty hard to get Kelnick up there. And then after seeing him, you know, for a month, it, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing to send him down. He at least knows now what major league pitching is, right? Because clearly there's a big gap. And at least he's seen it now. So now we can, I don't know, you see the cockiness. The, I, I love it out of Kelnick. But at least now he knows what he has to get to, right? Um, anyways, guys, keep it going. And yeah, what's your thoughts? I mean, 
I don't think it's a worse deal. And uh, I'm sure we're going to see him up in the big sooner than later again. But, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I'm with you there, Blaze. Interestingly, isn't this development somewhat good for the Mariners from this perspective? It shows that it's not Kevin Mather whose assessment of the situation, which he told the Bellevue Rotary Club breakfast, that they're holding Kelnick back because he's not ready. It's DePoto's assessment, Jerry DePoto's original assessment, that they needed to see some seasoning from him. Now, they didn't see much seasoning from him at the AAA level, so it's again hard to entirely buy that. But I think the idea of the service time manipulation is maybe less of an issue when you see Kelnick having the struggles that he's having right now. He doesn't look ready. 206 421 3776 is how you call into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. This is our good friend Robert in Kirkland. Robert, what's up? Uh, hey, Paul, thanks for taking my call. Um, I would say, yeah, definitely send him down. Explain why would I do it? Who in this organization has a winning attitude, really, truthfully? Hmm. Does the GM? Does our manager? No. No. Do you need that, Robert? Uh, hang on, I'll, I'll let you finish. Do, do you need that out of your manager, general manager, when right now clearly their process is about development? Like they're trying to get young players better because, look, they're not really investing a whole lot into the product at this point in time. Maybe that never happens, by the way. But right now, mm-hmm. this is not a team that's like committed to, hey, we're going to go all in to try to compete the same way that they were maybe back in 2018. You know, I, I think it comes down to just to the winning attitude of your system. And we don't have that winning attitude for the past 20 years. I think Kelnick is going to be fine. I think he's going to be a stud in the league, and I hope he stays with us. But I don't want him losing confidence like, man, I can't do this. I thought I was this, but I'm not. I, and I totally agree with you that the – one hitter you were talking about previous, he should be moved up. That guy is on fire right now. There we go. Robert so, and I finally agree on something. This is great. A great day for everybody. I appreciate the phone call. It's Jake Fraley that you probably consider moving up in the lineup. He's drawing a lot of walks at this point in time. And you move J.P. Crawford up. Guess what? That worked out. Now, I, I, would, I would question not just Robert, but anyone who has this mentality. Don't blame this specific player or really anybody on the totality of the last 20 years harder to say harder to feel than actually do and honestly do not hold it against them you have to look at this as like separate attempts at rebuilds and that i don't know maybe it's sort of like in the matrix there's all sorts of different zions you know, the holdouts against the army of the machines who's making all these human beings into batteries. There's a bunch of different ones. And they all end up failing. Maybe it's doomed. But this, I think, you should remove from the past ones because there feels like more of a plan this time around. And to their credit, they have been somehow shredding water and staying about at 500. I'm Paul Galan. the Paul Galan Show. Up next, let's go to the sports pit. With Dave Wyman on Twitter, you get to pick what I talk about at 1045. Don't go anywhere. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. It's 1030. 
and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're gonna to fail. With Paul Gallant. And from Wyman and Bob, I am joined by the great Dave Wyman. Happy Friday, buddy. How you doing? I'm good, Paul. How you doing? I cannot complain. Thanks. The Mariners are back at 500. Thanks for the intro there. Do you want a better intro? <laughs> no, you said the great. I mean, you put a lot of pressure on me, but uh, yeah, I'm expecting yeah, big so. time takes. It's Friday. We're going to close out the week with a bang. And I've got a question for you. This is a tricky subject, I think. For you know, baseball and football, it's, it's different as far as how you handle young players. And I know in football, mm. you're used to if a rookie or a young player he struggles, he's usually put on the bench, and he might end up being forgotten. What have you learned in your playing days that maybe would be helpful to get Kelnick back on the right track? Because right now, he's looking pissed when he's out there and struggling. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's different and different personalities and everything. <laughs> it's funny. I told Bob the other day on my show, yeah, my rookie year, I would have got sent down. You know, as far as the the way my rookie year went. So, yeah, I mean, you just, there's no substitute for you know, experience and just time. I mean, he's got to figure it out on his own. I know at one point Kelnick said, you know, everybody's got great intentions and I appreciate, you know, everyone coming up and giving me advice and everything, but I got to figure this thing out on my own. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, maybe he should start listening to other people and maybe, you know, he's just got to go through a process. He has no idea what's going to snap him out of it. And, you know, it's funny. I don't really know exactly what it was that snapped me out of it because my rookie year, I was totally lost, totally lost. It was like a different game to me. And I just, I just wasn't playing well. It just wasn't coming to me. And I came back my second year. I was in really good shape. I worked really hard in the off season. I got my shoulder fixed and all of a sudden the game just slowed down for me. And it was, I was back to being a football player. Like I played in high school, like I played in college. So, you know, and, and it, it was so much more challenging, certainly with the NFL. And I, you know, it's funny in my, my, my second year is when I started, I won the starting job. I had about three games and then I went like game four five and six. I think it was mm-hmm. hit a slump. I was just, I wasn't tackling well, I was screwing up assignments and stuff. And then, Chuck Knox came to me and he threatened to bench me. Uh, and it was the night before the game, which I really did not appreciate him telling me that the <laughs> yeah. night before because I didn't get much sleep. But it was probably what I needed to hear. And then, you know, the rest of the year, I never looked back. I, I, you know, broke out of it. And it's always just like one play where you pull the trigger, something happens, and you're like, okay, I got it. And, you know, I think that's that's probably what, what Kalnick's going to have to go through at some point. But in the meantime... I want to say, let's see, I was keeping track. I think, you know, Tremel got sent down after 27 games. Mm-hmm. And I think this that last night was number either 21 or number 22 for Kalnick. So, I mean, it's not like this thing has gone ridiculously long because Tremel, again, you know, probably seven, eight more games than, than he has so far. I'm thinking maybe Before at he the... got sent down, I mean. Right. So if you add that up, okay, to go by that, 28, 29 or so, by the end of this Mariners road trip, that would probably put Kelnick at about there. I'm thinking maybe at the end of this series, if you don't see any promise, that maybe you think about doing it too, because somehow Jake Fraley is really hitting well. 
Uh, Dave Wyman with me in the sports pit. I'm just fascinated by your rookie year because you came into the NFL the same time as the boss, right? And I can imagine as a rookie in the NFL with the boss as also a rookie at your same positional group, that had to be sort of another factor as far as maybe how you were feeling your first season, your second season too. Yeah, well, in the first year, it's funny we were just talking about it because of the uh, the uh, the draft for the Kraken. You know, they get the little lottery thing, right. and that's how that's how the Seahawks got Brian Bosworth. It was like these little Seahawks helmet keychains that you put in a fishbowl, and so <laughs> you know, obviously, if you won the Super Bowl, you got one, and at the time there was twenty eight teams, and if you came in dead last, you got twenty eight. Well, the Seahawks had like seven or eight in there, and somehow they pulled out a Seahawk keychain and got Brian in the supplemental draft. So, and that was about two or three months after I was drafted. So, yeah, I was drafted here in the second round to be like the new replacement for, you know, an aging linebacker named Keith Butler. And now all of a sudden they get the boss and kind of puts my whole, you know, my deal on hold. It's like, oh, we got the boss. He was like the greatest linebacker in college football history. So, um, yeah, it was just a it was just a weird way to go and unlikely. So, and I, I won't go into it, but I got traded my rookie year. I failed the physical. It was with the Forty ers I got sent back here. Everything worked out, but I mean, it was quite a process. I mean, if you go back and look at my my rookie year, so in nineteen eighty seven, I graduated from Stanford. I got drafted in the NFL. And um, what else? Uh, I mean, there, it was a bunch of good things, right? But it was the worst year of my life. Oh, no. Up, you know, yeah, I remember I, I failed a physical. I got traded. The trade was nullified. They drafted Bosworth. We went on strike that year. You know, it was just, you know, it was a ton of stuff happened. And so it sure made, you know, the rest of my career feel, you know, pretty smooth sailing, you know, as yeah. far as everything, not, not so many things were falling apart for me, but yeah, I mean, that, I think all of those things made me better and, and made me, you know, less sensitive to those kinds of things and just kind of rolling with the punches and looking at the, the bright side of things. The book you and Bob Condota put together was fantastic. If these walls could talk, check it out on Amazon. Look at that. I'm shamelessly plugging your books too, Dave. How am I doing? How am I doing thus far? Uh, what, one last hey, thing. Keep it up, baby. Oh, I will. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll keep on brown nosing all day long. One last thing. So uh, earlier today, Danny and I were talking about some comments made by Will Disley yesterday. And you listen to him and you can sort of hear that they feel a lot, a lot of optimism about Shane Waldron as the new offensive coordinator. There's been a lot of scapegoating too for Brian Schottenheimer. How much better is it realistically to expect Shane Waldron to be as a play caller than Schottenheimer, given that this is his first time doing it? Yeah, I guess to me, I think it's going to be a huge difference. Now, you know, I think the thing, well, I always go back to Jared Goff. Like, if Jared Goff can run that, that <laughs> offense and it, it looks, you know, kind of easy, anybody can, I think. But I just. Last year, and I don't want to, you know, just trash on, on Schottenheimer, but why was it so hard? I mean, yeah. Why was it so hard for Russell? I just, I mean, and there are checkdowns that are open, and how, why is he missing them? He's not a bad football player. He's a really, really, really good football player. And yet, you know, he couldn't see the checkdowns in the Giant game. He couldn't, you know, in the playoff game. Why the, the touchdown he throws to D.K. Metcalf? Why does it have to be so damn hard? I know. He has to scramble and duck and in and out and loop, run to his left and throw across his body. 
you know, I just think that there's going to be a lot of more easy plays for him. And, you know, I'm hoping it's, it's going to be set up by their offense the way that they run it and uh, that they're going to make it easy for Dwayne Brown on some plays. Uh, they're going to make it easy for Russell Wilson on some plays. So, you know, it's a lot of spread out stuff. I think their, their offense spreads defenses out and it kind of cuts them in half. And so I'm just hoping that it'll make it easier for Russell. That's, that's all I care about. Just make it a little bit easier for him. Simple is better. Dave Wyman, this was simply a wonderful time. Looking forward to hearing you more. Wyman and Bob, 2 o'clock this afternoon. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it, man. That have is Dave weekend. Wyman. I will. I will. I'll have a wonderful weekend. That is Dave Wyman, everybody. And make sure you're listening later today on your 710 app, your smart speaker. Up next, we've forgotten about the Seahawks this offseason. You picked this topic. It's interesting that we have because he's going to be a big part of next year. Plus, would it be a failure for the Mariners to send down Kelnick at any point the rest of the year? All of that on the table. We wrap things up next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. You can watch 710sports.com slash video. A texter says if there's no more Kleenex, then I'm going to stop watching. Yeah, I've been basically applying Kleenex to my nose from time to time over the course of this show. It's very, I would say, you know, emblematic of what a warrior I am. I know, I'm I'm basically like LeBron James playing in the playoffs last night on a bum ankle. And, you know, I, I, I do my best. I try my hardest. And I get through the show. Paul. Thank you. Bring me back to reality. Thank you very much. That's more Dooley behind more Dooley. Goodness gracious, behind the glass, everybody. 710 710 is how you text in. Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Call in 206 421 3776. Would it be a failure if the rest of the way the Mariners decide to just send down Jared Kelnick? This text got my attention because a lot of it's in caps. 710 710 from the 360. The more I hear battered fans say move JK down the more I am sure he should stay up. We've been so bad for so long while we were supposedly trying to be good. All caps, I won't yell. This is the first rebuild attempt we've ever had. I'm so over trying to be good and being awful. I want to be terrible on purpose so we can be great later. He sounds frustrated. I don't blame you. I do think that there is something to the idea of having him battle through this, but at a certain point, what if he's just not going to be able to get through it? What if you're essentially throwing out, I don't know, you're trying to cover yourself up in a rainstorm with like a plastic bag. Like, what? Maybe you just don't have the ability to right now. Maybe you need to upgrade to an umbrella. Maybe you need to go back home and find an umbrella. Maybe Kelnick needs to go back to the miners for just a little bit of time. That was a strange analogy, so we're just going to move on. <laughs> 7-10-7-10. Why does everyone assume moving Kelnick back will break him? Failure's part of his part of life. If he can't handle the first dose of it, he's never going to be successful. Fair point. But he's young, and it doesn't look like he can handle this right now, at least the last couple of weeks. Jerry DePoto thought otherwise yesterday, and I, I guess we can't be overreactive to one night, but it's been a couple of nights in a row now where the strikeouts have been a thing. Some texts are brought up. Sending Kelnick down eliminates being able to give Hanniger rest at DH. Honestly, I, I kind of want to see 
Haniger in the lineup every single day, especially since I'm the guy who wants to see the Mariners give him an extension. I want to see him prove that he can last the marathon of a season. Not that he necessarily can't. I just feel that would make me feel a little bit better about extending the guy long-term because I think he's your best player at this point in time. 206-421-3776. Let's go to Robin. Robin thinks that up-and-coming stars do not work out so well in this area. Why do you think that? Uh, Paul, I think it's because the area is so needy. They just sort of haven't matured into knowing how to handle these people correctly. And and I want to put it through the uh, King Felix um, Hernandez uh, thing. He he was a very very, very talented pitcher, but he was so coddled and overprotected here, he never got a chance to be hardened. And and the reason that he was overprotected is the fans that basically they thought that's all – you know that uh, they had, and they they just didn't handle him well. Well, what do you mean? And, he was really good. Uh, I think the same thing is going. What's that? He was really good, though. I mean, did 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 them handling him um, the way that no, you're portraying no, it? No, 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 Paul. He was not really good. Okay, he wasn't that good. He was very talented. Okay, uh, and and he just completely fell apart towards the end of his career. And he had melancholic pitching style, which melancholic. what happened if I if I pitch a no hitter, I pitch a no hitter. If I'm out in the first two two uh, first inning, I'm out in the first inning. He wasn't good. He just was very very talented. Robin, though, okay? you, 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 but, but they. Come they on, pedest- man. No, Paul. They, pedest- they pedestalized him, and they're doing pretty much the same with Kellenic. And my point is that people just need to, to look and listen. And I, when I say people, I mean the sports media, too. Ooh. They need to just listen from DePoto. De so okay. I, I think you're sort of kind of guilty of being on that parade. Oh, wow. So, uh, come I'll, on. I'll close- okay. Close out, close it out, Robin. Because you're drawing, you're drawing I'll, my eye. I'll ire. close this out, Paul. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll close this out, Paul. Very simple. Okay. In the next week, okay, on air, you can let me know whether crow is best eaten with a <laughs> fork or another implement. Probably roast a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. Appreciate the phone call. <laughs> uh, come on, though. You can't say Felix wasn't good. Come on. Come on. I can understand the idea of maybe him being treated a little bit differently, but, I mean, why not? The guy was really good. He was talented, but he wasn't good? I mean, this guy was a great pitcher. I, I, I'm, I'm having a tough time determining what Robin was using to gauge it. Always appreciate Robin and Robert calling in. Always interesting takes from those two. Okay, one last thing before we hit the road, guys. You guys chose this topic. How did we forget about Chris Carson this offseason? It really feels that way, right? And, I mean, we started off the offseason, I guess, talking about the Seahawks running the football more effectively. Carson signs that extension. The Seahawks did a great job getting that extension. I started thinking about Chris Carson last night. Warren Sharp put up a tweet talking about the cap hit for Ezekiel Elliott. It's a bigger cap hit than Tom Brady's will be the next two years. It's a bigger cap hit than Patrick Mahomes this coming season. Now, again, you can structure the cap in a certain way to make sure that you're kicking some of that money, cap hit-wise, down the road. Chiefs, obviously, are doing that with Mahomes right now, and the Bucks are doing it too. But that's a lot of money to be giving a running back who hasn't been amazing. Chris Carson last year was underutilized. I mean, if you look at his carries over 15 games last year, 278. 12 games last year, 141. 
And then maybe there was something to the element of the Seahawks trying to keep him healthy for the stretch run. But they seemingly forgot how to use him down the stretch. He was the one guy in that playoff game that actually looked competent offensively. I know that Seattle's saying that they want to run the football more effectively this coming year. But I would tailor the phrase. I think they need to use Chris Carson more effectively. Specifically more. And make sure he's healthy for the final months of the season, sure. But you got to use this guy. He's got hands. He's got power. The one thing, sometimes he puts the ball on the ground. But, you know, we're talking all about this passing attack going into next year. This guy... This guy should be maybe not as important necessarily as Russell Wilson to the offense, but much more important than he was at the very least considered last year. He was an afterthought. I thought that was strange, even with all the injuries that he dealt with. Big thanks for everybody tuning in to the Paul Gallant Show this week. To all of our callers, to our texters, tweeters, etc. To the great Dave Wyman. Listen to him, Wyman and Bob, later this afternoon, 2 o'clock. And, of course, to Maura Dooley behind the glass who makes this thing happen every single day and keeps me in check, I am merely Paul Gallant. So long. Farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Jake and Stacy's next.